means uncertainness, uncertain. And the uh, opposite, the antonym of this word is trust. Isn't that weird? So during the time of Jesus' return, you have for certain one group of people who are walking in barrenness of the womb. They're, they're birthing nothing. And it's sidekick because they have no trust. You know what trust is? To me, trust is the highest level of intimacy. I don't think you can trust anyone that you're not intimate with in a relationship. And if you don't trust God, I am telling you, you need to fix your intimacy with God. Do you worship God? Do you praise God? Do you tell God how great he is, how wonderful he is to you? These are the kind of things that we do with each other and our spouses, do we not? Because that breeds the intimacy that we all want and need. And we are all created in the image and likeness of God. So when we have that need, I guarantee you, you've got that from God. So if you're not doing that with God, you are not building your trust. And so when things happen, you, you don't turn to him like you should. You turn to something else. So where does this end up at? What, what is this? One thing we do know is this. These things are happening because men's hearts are failing them because they are walking, verse 26, in fear. Now, there's a few words for fear in the New Testament. This was phobos. And it can often be used for, for, for good things. Like a woman, a wife is supposed to fear or have reverence for her husband, Phobos. You need that. But it can also be used in a negative way. We are not given the spirit of fear, Phobos. That's a negative thing. So when it comes to, comes to us in a negative fashion and, and bringing forth negative outcomes, it is not from God. And you're actually serving something other than God when you let that spirit of fear in your life. And so what happens to these people? Their hearts fail them. They literally die. Heart attacks because of what's coming and the expectation of what's coming on the earth. And what is coming on the earth? The end of verse 26. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, folks, I think that's where we are. The powers of the, of the uh, heavens will be shaken. I think what you're seeing right now is the shaking that has been talked about in this church since September of 2018. I went back to my notes and I looked it up and I started a series about, can you be shaken? Let's turn to that scripture, Hebrews 12. Whatever God does on this earth, count on this, he first starts it with his church. He first starts it with the church. And then once he gets through the things he wants to do with the church, then he will move it to the world. So we, for over a year and a half, have been walking in this shaking thing. And I mean, I look at guys from the next generation, the sword generation. Boy, you're talking about a skillet shot on being shaken. You guys are being shaken by, by faith, I'm saying to you guys, because there are no guys in here, right? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, wow. 
it's happening. And it's been happening for quite a while. So let's, let's read the scripture in, in uh, Hebrews 12, verse 25. It says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, and much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he is promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth, but also heaven. So the first shaking that he's referring to in this passage is what happened with Moses. And remember what Moses was doing when he saw the first shaking. He was taking the people out of the strongest nation on earth, the strongest kingdom on earth. And he was leading them to another kingdom called the promised land. All right? So in times of shaking, what is God doing? Verse 27. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, and this is the point, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God or worship God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And see, that's the other fear that I said was in the New Testament. This isn't Phobos. And this one is almost always rendered in a good sense. So in a time of shaking, what is really going on? There's a shift in the kingdoms. We are receiving a different kingdom. And our response to it isn't my heart should fail because of phobos or dread. I should be lifting up my head and looking from where does my help come from. My help comes from the Lord. And so I have a godly fear and I'm worshiping him. God, do what you want to do. Don't let me stop anything that you're doing. I'm going to walk with you by faith. Amen. So that's what we're called to do. And God is a consuming fire. And he's going to change things, no doubt about it. So we are in the shaking. Now then, what does shaking do? Well, I see that shaking does two things. It divides groups and reveals hearts. Divides, reveals. Now, I want to compare some stuff for you. This is is so interesting to me. We just read things, what's going to happen in Luke 21 during the shaking time, right? There's going to be distress, perplexity, etc. All right, so compare. Those who have godly fear, like we see in Hebrews 12, you will see them in comparison to those who have the spirit of fear, which causes death. In fact, it's going to be quite the testimony. People freaking out and dying versus someone over here that looks like it's another wonderful day in the neighborhood. And they're going to look at you like, what's wrong with you? Don't you know what's going on? Yeah. Doesn't seem to be bothering me. So this is what shaking does. Why? Because godly fear cannot be shaken. In fact, it gets stronger. 
God, because God begins to reveal himself in times like that. Those who don't know him or don't walk with him, they're going to be freaking out. And you will see the difference. Then the second thing that you'll see that shaking will do, it will lead, it, it, what did it do to us when we started talking about it 18 months ago? It leads you to a message. And you know what the message is? Trust. How many people in these last several months have come individually to a place where the message to them is, trust God. It's your only answer. When your job's being blown away, your family's getting blown up, your health is at risk. What's your only answer? You trust God. That's my experience in life. When God wants to pull this one to me, and he's done it several times to me, he'll lead you to a place where really you have no other answer. You can't manufacture another job in the oil field. Is anybody making money in the oil field today? Can you even work today? No. And if you're halfway intelligent and honest with yourself, you will realize that. That your only way to get through this is trust the God who said, I will feed you. Don't you know your father knows you have need of these things? What to eat? What to put on? Where are you going to live? Of course he knows this thing. Do you trust that? Or do you trust him? So that's the one thing that has come out of this message. Trust. And those who do trust him will be juxtaposed or compared to those walking around in perplexity. You remember that perplexity is uncertainness. The very opposite of trust. So you're going to see him running around like a chicken with her head cut off, buying up all the toilet paper, 15 pounds of hamburger meat, right? Hoarding up, oh my God, tribulation beans. And you got people like us walking, what do I feel like eating today? Getting heavier. So those are the second, that's the second group. We got those who are going to walk in the wrong fear versus the godly fear. Those who are going to walk in perplexity versus those who trust. And those who are walking in one or the other, perplexity or fear, uh, or the godly fear, trust. They will be bringing forth the birthing, the sorrow. If you trust God, remember this, you're in the highest level of intimacy with God. Now just take a, a like a, a parable or a, a sign, uh, a picture of how this is supposed to work. You know, in a husband-wife relationship, what does intimacy usually produce? Babies. I bet we have an uptick in the baby deal here because of all this. Y'all, y'all think? Nothing else to do. What's that Dr. Oz? Or did, you, did you see his little deal? That's what he recommended. Lots of sex. I'm just reporting here. That's what he said. So those who are walking in this type of trust relationship with godly fear or walking in intimacy with God, and so they will begin to birth the plan of God. And they will birth this transfer of the kingdom of, of God to us. It's crazy. Versus those who will be walking in barrenness. They will have no fruit. 
No fruit of the kingdom. Are we seeing any of that right now? Any grocery store. Any gas station. My God, they're hoarding gas now. Because they heard news that may not be true or not, but expectation is what that is. It's pro, in other words, getting ahead of the game, worrying about tomorrow, the things of tomorrow. You're going to do it today. You're bringing tomorrow's turmoil into this day, and what do you end up doing? Serving a different God. That's what you end up doing. Oh, I don't like that, brother. I'm sorry. But that's what it is. In fact, you end up here. This is an amazing scripture. Revelation 22. Revelation 22. The last book, the last chapter of the last book of the book. So Revelation 22 enters into the summation of the book of Revelation and really the Bible. Here's a summation of the whole thing, starting in verse 10. This angel said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Now, I want you to just stop for a minute and think. When was this book written, the book of Revelation? 2,000 years ago. And he's saying the time is near. So you've got to get a different perspective of what that really means. This book, this Bible, refers to people who've ever lived all time. You know, when you come to the end of your days, the time is near. I don't care when you lived. All face death at some point. So there will be a generation that literally will be the last one, and they'll wrap this up. But this this thing was written 2,000 years ago and said, don't seal it up. It's right now. The time is near. So he was talking to people that were living 2,000 years ago. He's talking to people who ever lived, including today, this day. Verse 10, 11. Now, this is where we end up. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. Underline the word still. Great word. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. Isn't that interesting? Three of the four words here have to do with living it the correct way. One is the wrong way. Unjust. But righteous, uh, holy, and just. Well, we got two of them, unjust and filthy. Now, then, what I'm saying here is, is this. People live their lives the way they choose to. They always have. They always will. I've kind of learned this lesson the hard way. I've tried my best to get people to change things which obviously are killing them. It could be a, a personal thing. It could be a cultural thing. It could be a national thing. But I'm telling you, people will choose what they want. And you can't change that. You, you, and God won't change that. That's why he's saying right here. Whatever it is that you do, do that. Keep up, Just keep that going. And so at every point of your life, 
you are sowing. Y'all realize that? You're sowing every time you do something. And the Bible in Galatians 6 says this, God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. If you sow to the flesh, then from the flesh you will reap destruction. If you sow to the Spirit, you will reap life. God's not mocked. You can't finesse God. He's watching what you do. You can finesse yourself, but you should be true to your own self. What are you doing? Times like this is a good time to take inventory, I would think. Where am I really? Really? Not am I where I want to be? Am I where I am? Can I eventually get myself to agree with what is going on? Eventually, throughout everyone's life who has ever lived, including today, they arrive at the word still. They arrive at the word still. And so here is what that word means. Conduct that crystallizes until you reflect perfectly the God that you serve. Got that from Al Houghton. Pretty good, huh? Crystallizes until you reflect perfectly the God that you serve. So go back to these comparisons that we made earlier. The perplexity, the distress, the barrenness, all that, the fear, the wrong fear, versus the ones that are good. You will reflect the God that you're serving when you make those choices. So if you're down there hoarding stuff, let me tell you what. Just be real clear about this. That ain't God. That is not God. That is like when they walk through the wilderness, he says, you take enough mammon to feed you this day, tomorrow I'll put some more out there. And if you don't, if you don't, if you don't trust God, you won't, you won't obey God. And you'll say, oh, well, I'm just being smart. No, you're being really stupid. That is sin. All unbelief is sin. So just think about it. So still. So you go reflect the God that you serve. Let's look at some good ones. Look at 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. (laughs) I love that verse. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. There's one of your divisions right there. Children of God. Those who aren't. Verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is still. And everyone who has his hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So here you go. You do conduct. At some point, showing who is your God, and at some point, you will perfectly reflect that God. And so at some point, when he, at this point for sure, when he comes back, our 
moment of still is a good moment. We will be just like him. For we will see him as he is. We will literally become the bride of Christ. Is a helpmate that's worthy of him. I mean, he, we literally complete him. Isn't that crazy? Still, there's a good one. How about another one? It's been a, a word to this church for a long time. Malachi 3. This has been going on for, gosh, at least seven years. Since 2012. Eight years. This is a word that God gave me for this church when we went to Lake City in 2012. Verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord. What kind of fear is that, do you think? Godly fear versus the spirit of fear that is causes your heart to fail. Those who have this godly fear, who feared the Lord, spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine. God, what a word. Mine, says the Lord of hosts. By the way, Lord of hosts is the moniker for Jesus. They'll be mine. This is my bride. Oh, the day that I make them my jewels. We have t-shirts with jewels on them. Literally. Black t-shirts, jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Now look at verse 18. And here we are in the division again. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked. Between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. And then the next verse is, you know, here comes the day of the Lord and it's going to burn them up. Those who don't serve God. So still is an amazing, powerful word that God has given right now to show you, hey, where are you really? And uh, I sure would be, I would not be at this moment really nice to myself. I would really be testing myself. This is too important to play games with. For God's sake, I just cannot believe it. Some people play games with stupid stuff. All right, so let's move on. So what should we do right now in the midst of all this craziness? What should we do? A couple of things here. Use your faith now. Not tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. This is the day the Lord made. I have no other guarantee than this day. So start doing stuff today. Use your faith now. Trust now. How's trust look? Get out of the boat. Start walking on the water. Oh, I'll drown. Then drown, go to heaven. What's wrong with that? And here's another one. Listen to the prophets. Listen to the prophets. Folks, the Bible is real clear. God does nothing unless he first reveals it to his servants, the prophets. And you know what? I've been listening. To, I've been, oh, what are the prophets saying? Interesting. There's not a, a whole lot. There's some. And I look at this church. This is a prophetic church. I'm not going to apologize for that. We are a prophetic church. I've been walking with God for, gosh, over 40 years. So 
And I know that God has given me prophetic messages all throughout my life. Dreams, visions, prophetic words. I'm not going to debate about that. I know this is true. And I'm just going to tell you what I, where I'm at on it. Have I heard God say, oh, wrap it up with the tribulation beam ribbon and get ready to run and hide? I had not heard that. I, I walk around going, is something wrong with me? Because I'm not getting this feeling of, oh, good God. I, I really don't. I'm just being honest with you. I don't feel that way. I'm still planning on our move to the next church. You know why? Because I know God said that to me. And if I ever need evidence of what's going on, all I got to do is go out there and watch how grace begins to show up. It just it graces that every time I go out there. I know it graces somewhere. So why would he be doing all that and want to kill us at the same time? It just doesn't make sense. So I want to, you know, step out there and just say, okay, let's, let's see something else here. Listen to the prophets. Well, here's one that most people have heard before. Chuck Pierce. He's got some creds. Uh, I don't know what your, your take on Chuck is, but I've heard some pretty good stuff uh, over the years. Is he 100%? Probably not. But he's nailed a bunch of them. Here's what he said. He, in September of 2019, he prophesied this. There is a massive plague-like invasion coming to the nations. It will put them into turmoil until Passover, which is April the 8th through 16th. That's interesting, is it not? Before it ever took place, before anybody had a clue, this guy's calling it out and calling the end of it. How far away is that right now? Three weeks? Is it three weeks? Who can do the math, Aggie? <laughs> Here we go. Oh, my God. We're really... We're not math. Is it two weeks? It's the second Sunday in, in April. Three weeks. Do y'all believe that? Well, he said, I'm not going to reveal anything except I do it by my service to prophets. And here's another. Believe his prophets and you will prosper. Oh, yeah, well, I'll believe. Oh, yeah. It hurt my ears. See, I dropped my deal because of that. So here's later on in January of this year. He prophesied again that a massive plague-like invasion would come and test us through Passover. I thought that was interesting. And that's really kind of getting down to it. What's God's point? I'm going to give you a test. You think we're doing very good on the test? And just be honest with yourself. Would you like to hit heaven's gates with the grade that you're getting right now on the test. That's up to you to believe and, and, and figure it out. Choose. You choose. There was another one. Uh, who was this guy that Shannon got this dream from? Uh, I think he's a pastor in Louisiana. He's a pastor. Okay, so it's a pastor kind of guy. A pastor dude. And he gets his dream and Shannon gave it to me. She says, this guy, let me read this. He says, I don't really dream much. But about a month ago, so before any of this nonsense started taking place, I dreamed a very disturbing and vivid dream. I was sitting on a sofa with my wife and heard a swarming noise above my head. When I looked up, I saw a swarm of bats, little birds, in the peak of the vaulted ceiling. Suddenly, a lone bat swooped down and landed on my shoulder. I rebuked it 
and knocked it to the floor violently. Suddenly, without explanation, the bats disappeared without a trace. Interesting dream. And here's his interpretation of it. The bats represent the coronavirus. As we now know, testing seems to indicate that this virus originated in bats. Number two. Bats, in the Bible, are classified as unclean birds. So this virus is an unclean spiritual attack. It's demonic. Interesting. Number three, it attacked me, but it did not prevail, and I easily took authority over it. It landed on his shoulder. That's the place of authority. We have authority over this attack. Rise up and swat this thing down spiritually and physically. Interesting. Fourth, finally, I believe the sudden disappearance of the bats without a trace in my dream means that this virus will suddenly cease, almost without explanation. Not sure what that means or how it will happen. Maybe a weather event or something of that nature. Still don't have clarity on this, but the more I ponder it, the more I have peace that this will end abruptly. Folks, this is not the end of humanity, but it is a prophetic shot across the bow for all of us. It's a wake-up call. Now, does that sound like truth to y'all? Something you get your teeth into spiritually? Instead of buying more toilet paper? Or cursing to those that have got it all? I went to the new church the other day, and uh, I almost hate to say this, but there was a, we pulled out one of those vanities, you know, they're putting the flooring down, and there were three rows of toilet paper up there. And I thought, I wonder if they'll be there the next time I come. This is ridiculous. So I'm rebuking all the toilet paper people. Stop it. For God's sake, why is it toilet paper? I read another prophecy. I didn't read it on here. But this this guy was quoting a deal that was done by the Rockefeller Institute back in 2012. And they were they were doing uh, runs uh, scenario testing. Like what if a, uh, uh, a pandemic hit? One of the two things that we would have uh, shortages of. Toilet paper, cleansing agents. Why? I don't get it. I mean, most of us in here are guys, so y'all just shut your ears for a minute. You know what I need to go? I won't get her done. I don't care if there's any toilet paper there or not. I will get her done. I don't think the problem is with the guys on the toilet paper issue. Stop it! Pine comes are good. <laughs> Slide down a hill. All right, so. This guy saying, oh, we need to rebuke this thing. Now, I want to, I want to show you something here. I think we got time for this. We do. Watch out how you address this. Look over to Luke 4. Luke. Y'all thought we were through. We're not even close. Let's look at what happens when Satan does attack. When he does try to test us. Look at Jesus and what he did with Jesus and how Jesus responded to us. So we, just, we have time. Let's read the temptations of Jesus. Verse 1. Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted or tested for 40 days by the devil. In those days he ate nothing, and afterward when they ended, he was hungry. 
And the devil said to him, here's test number one. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Go buy every toilet paper deal you can. All the if, you're, if you are this, you know, you're not being stupid. You're being full of the wisdom of God. And what did he respond back? Verse 4. It is written. Watch how Jesus always responds. It is written. He always refers to the Bible. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Maybe all those people out there hoarding should stop, pray, and ask God to speak to them. Just speak to me. That's what I live by. I love that song. Lord, I'm listening. I live by every, by every word you, you say. Awaken my heart or something like that that I can hear. Verse 5, then the devil, taking him on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to, them, to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, all will be yours. Y'all, y'all hear about those uh, senators that got word of the, this thing and went and cashed in their stock and made millions? Gee, I wonder if they could fit that in there. Give me now what God would, said he would promise his Christians to do anyway. Transfer the wealth. Oh, I'll go get it myself. Don't worry about it. So, uh, verse 8. Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now, I'm telling you what, folks. You ought to read the scriptures about, well, why are you worrying? Why do you worry about the things you eat, put on, all that stuff? God knows you have need of those things. Don't waste your prayer on things that God has already put on himself to do. He is your father. It's his job to do these things. And when you get outside that and start doing it yourself, you're not serving God. You're serving a different God. And you're not serving him the way he wants you to. Verse 9. Then he brought him to Jerusalem. And this is the one that really ticks here. He brought him to Jerusalem, (laughs) the church. Set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, if you are a son of God, if you are a Christian, if you are a faith-walking dude, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. Satan comes at him with the Bible. And the thing that's very interesting is what scripture. He's fixed to quote Psalm 91. See all these, these banners? These are about Psalm 91. And they were given to me when God wanted to rename this church as a picture and a sign and a wonder for this community that there will be a time where we need to trust God. And there needs to be a city that there is full of people who trust God. Psalm 91. Refuge means trust. So he quotes Psalm 91 in a time like this. I know he's doing this. Oh, you're a son of God. Don't, don't worry about stuff. Just... What I'm saying to you is don't be presumptuous. Don't say, oh, I'm a faith-talking, word-walking, I can go anywhere and do anything. How about being smart? We're supposed to be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. So even though, you know, I'd love to have church service, we don't have that. We have six people six feet apart. Well, we just obey the authorities for right now. All right? Until they say don't obey God, then we'll, we'll change what we do. But until then, we're good. But don't act like an idiot. All those people that went down there to Florida and did the party, how stupid was that? 
That was presumptuous. Don't do that. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And then in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And again, this is the most wicked of all temptations. It is the last temptation. He's throwing the word at him, not just any word, that word. And so the only thing you can do is go back with the word itself. 12. Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, or it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, even though he's quoted him a scripture, he misapplied it. So let's go to Psalms 91. Because I do think that this is the, the bullet that we all have going forward as we do uh, end time living. You must get here. This is the, 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 the doorway in which we must enter to receive the kingdom which cannot be shaken. This is it. Psalm 91. Verse 1, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to, of the Lord, he is my refuge, my absolute trusting place, and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from, uh-oh, the perilous pestilence. And there we have pestilence again. The Old Testament version of that means this, pandemic. A pandemic. A sickness that may cause widespread death, often a judgment of God. But not always. So if it's the devil throwing it at you, if it's the devil throwing it at you, you go to Psalms 91 and say, nah, uh, 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 uh. it is written. Let's see what it's written here. Uh, look down there, verse 5. You know, you'll not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence. That walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Get this. I mean, get this. A thousand will fall by your side. Ten thousand at your right hand. They ran out of toilet paper. But it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Let him who is wicked be unjust and wicked still. At some point we will discern who's been doing the right thing. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, my trusting, even the most high your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Now, folks, walk your covenant out. If you're trying to land in your house, what are you going to do, close all the doors and hope nothing comes in? No, you stand up by faith and you rebuke that thing. For he shall give his angels charge over you. And here's the scripture that Satan tried to fly to keep you in all your ways. In your hands, they'll lift, bear you up, let you dash your foot against the stone. You gotta put it in context. Have you made the Lord your refuge? Are you walking in trust? Then you could use this. Alright? One more scripture. Look over in 1 Kings. Chapter 8. Now, no matter what caused this, If it was a wicked thing like that dream said, you need to rebuke it, cast it down with your authority. Or if it's a judgment of God, what have you been messing up? Can you stop the process of the sowing that you've been doing in the past and change your, your steel to a different steel? Now's the time. We're going to cover both. 
whether you did something wrong or have been doing wrong or you've been doing right. We've already seen what you're going to do if you do right. You go to Psalms 91. God, mm-mm. Though it is written. And yet by faith, you stop that thing. Uh, this is when Solomon is, is uh, dedicating the temple. And he is praying. Look in verse 22. This is something we can all do. We can pray. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands toward heaven. Don't think that physical things like this don't matter to God. They do. You do this. This is the king of the country. This is a sign of surrender and petition. You're humbling yourself when you do stuff like this. You want to get what you ought to get from God? Humble yourself and go boldly before him. But don't go presumptuously say, well, I got this written somewhere. No. He humbled himself, spread out his hands toward the heavens, and he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keeps your covenant. Underline it. We're going to stand on his covenant. And mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. If I messed up, I got mercy. Sure mercies of David. I always have his covenant if I'm walking with God. Look down in verse 30, 37. I love this. This is the section of this prayer. I mean, there are a lot of things they talk about in life. But this is the section that is affecting us right now. When there is famine in the land, What's the next word? Pestilence. Like what we see. Coronavirus. Or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers. When their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is. I mean, he's covering it all. Look at verse 38. Whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by who? Anyone. Just one. God looks for anybody that he can show himself strong on behalf of. He looks for those who go into the gap and stand there for the whole people. If if it just takes one, God will take one. So any prayer offered by anyone, I think we got more than one, or by everyone, all your people Israel, both is okay. When each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands toward this temple, then we can ask God to do this by the covenant. Then here in heaven, your dwelling place, number one, hear us, God. Number two, forgive us, God. Number three, and act, God. Act and give to everyone according to all his ways. Whose hearts you know, for you alone know the hearts of men. And that's a very interesting point he's making here. God, I want you to act. But I want you to act according to, to still. What have they been doing? Give them according to their ways. And so here's where we step it up. The word act means keep God, keep it, the covenant. Put things in order the way they ought to be. In other words, and we've heard this with Al's teaching, 
render judgment on the wicked to the measure that is needed to either turn them and put them into the still position. One or the other. Either turn them or let them go ahead and reap what they've been doing, but save the righteous. Because they're not doing that stuff. So either way, God, I want you to cover this deal. Act. Act. If you must judge in order to get the world to see that you have had enough of abortion, of name the stuff, the pride. Look how many gods in America that have been falling. How about sports? How about Hollywood? How about the media? Shall I go on and on and on? They're falling like flies. So if that's what you're doing, God, do it. But please save the righteous. And spare as many as you can. But knock down enough of them for them to get the message. Now, will they get the message? Well, according to the rest of the book, (laughs) they're not going to repent. But there might be enough. And according to these prophets that we hear, we still have the great harvest ahead of us. So I think God's going to do it. Now at 12, we'll end it right here. We're going to join the world. At noon, all Christians are asked to pray at home or here from 12 to 1. We'll start you off here and then y'all can go home and finish it up. Covering the globe in 24 hours. So wherever you are at, at noon, pray. So every time frame, we'll have someone praying. And this is what you pray for. Number one, the stop of this, of this virus. The stopping the spreading of the virus. Number two, the recovery of those already infected. Number three, peace for the families who have lost loved ones. Number four, restoration of the economies of the world. Number five, wisdom for the governments who have to manage this stuff. Can we agree on those? Uh, Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to spread out my hands like Solomon did. And you said if anyone would, if they would spread out their hands toward you, then we have this covenant that we can stand on. And God, if we have done nothing wrong that would, that would bring this kind of judgment on our lives, and I don't see it, God, I don't. But if, even if I don't see it, it is there, I ask you to initiate the following. If we're not wrong, I'm asking you to initiate the following. I'm asking you, God, to make us what you said you want us to be. Priest. Priest to our God. So as priest to our God, on behalf of a world that is receiving judgment, obviously, I am praying, God, that you will hear us as we call out to you that you would forgive us, oh God, where we need that. At whatever level we are, I pray for forgiveness to those who will repent. But really repent, God. And you know how that works. Here in heaven, oh God, forgive those that will receive it. And above all things, act. Act and put these things back in order. Save the righteous, God. 
All through your Bible, you tell the, you, you've heard this, this message. Tell the righteous, it will be well with them. I'm telling the righteous, it'll be well with you. And we've heard the prophet say, by Passover, oh God, bring this thing to an end. And in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the thing against your people, oh God. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. And I declare Psalm 91 over us all of those who have been sowing to righteousness, sowing to the Spirit, sowing to the will of God, sowing to trusting God, sowing to faith, sowing to humility. Make us like you now. Let us be a reflection of you as we observe you. Let us see you. And God, move on those who will not heed the cry. But I pray for them as well. Oh, God, those that won't turn and use them as the judgment receivers, where the wrath of God must attend so that the goodness of God can be seen and the power of God on those who would believe. And so, God, there's many who have not yet had a chance to even call out to your name. You prophesied there, there would be a billion souls saved starting this year. God, I'm calling that word forth. And I pray that you will save as many as you possibly can. But let the word be clear. And let it be true. And let it finish the work that you have sent it to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you all.